guys. I'm Lavetta. I'm Miriam. And this is Notorious Women Podcast, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. That's right. <laughs> How you doing, darling? I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, you good. yeah, it's cold, but I kind of like it. I know. We're so, we have such thin blood. I mean, it's cold. What is it? 50 something? Yeah, we're in California. Let me be clear. When I say it's cold, yeah. it's 57 degrees. So, I mean, it's cold to us. It's cold. It's like, you know, <laughs> I... I'm, I'm with you. I have a weighted blanket. I mm-hmm. have the heater going. Yeah. I found the best thing before we yeah. get started. Oh, tell me. I found an air purifier that's yes. also a heater. Stop. That what? rotates. <gasps> it's it very does expensive. Everything. <laughs> but I need this. It and it also you can monitor like the air quality in the room as well as the temperature. Listen, and if the people I've, that make this want to want to want to give us some money for advertising, oh God, who makes it. I can't think yeah, of the we name could, of the people. We could support you and you could support me and my need for this because I know I, that my husband would look at it and be like, no, no. It's, I will say because Hollywood uh, is California is so dusty because we're in the desert. And yeah. so you have to use air purifiers and then not to mention when the fires get started. But like but usually you get cold like so if it's like 57 degrees and, and it's running you're like oh also, I'm cold. in in our defense when they built up california with like walls right and roofs right they forgot yeah. to add padding so our walls are made of paper like you know i go back east and like that's brick and it's yeah no we don't have brick no. we have like paper and then like paper mache you know it's like layered <laughs> layered and sometimes it's cute but it does not work Okay. Yeah, there's no insulation. And so, no. yeah, I have to, I can't think of the, the brand name, but yeah, it's an air purifier that's also a heater. I'm thinking, of, I have it in my bedroom. I'm thinking about having one in the living room, but it's pretty big because yeah. it's supposed to be actually for like a thousand square foot area. That's my house. Let, and, you need two of them? Well, because, I mean, it's in one Lavetta. room and it's like, is it cleaning the room really in okay. the living room, so like in the other room? Is, but like, it probably is, Lavetta. I mean, they have smaller ones, but the review for the smaller one was not as good as the big one. And I have to admit, it was expensive, but it was worth, it's worth every penny because I need one for my downstairs. Of what you were saying. It's freezing in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it works. It heats up. It's like, but not too hot. Like, it's it works. So I'll send you when I figure Can out the, send the I'll send you the link. So, yeah, but I guess we should get started. We should get started. Um, I believe that I am first this week. Okay. I think. Girl, I think maybe listen. Uh, yeah, let's, let's have, go with that. I have but one brain and it only works so well. <laughs> so <laughs> Let's go with that. That okay. I'm first. I'm first. Okay, uh, so <laughs> my notorious woman this week is oh that was terrible uh we're in the charis woman this try that again i'm trying to do the the air horn it's terrible i kept trying to do the air horn the other day because i I don't know why i thought it was funny and nobody in my family knows what the air horn is and why it's used i'm the only one and i also i sound like which is wrong right doesn't it's not correct and so everyone was like, what, what is your, are you, okay? are you stroking out? What is happening? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> well, mine is drum roll, please. I know. 
um, is uh, my notorious woman this week is Sister Rosetta Tharp. Okay. Do you know who that is? I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm okay, excited. So this is I'm guessing be she's great. a nun. Okay. <laughs> um, not quite. Okay. So I'm wrong. It's gonna be good. I okay. can't wait. You're gonna Let's be like, go. no. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> Entertain me. So, uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp was uh, born um, on March twentieth, nineteen fifteen, in Cotton Plant, Arkansas, to Katie they Bell. They literally called it Cotton, cotton plant. plant. They called America. it Cotton Plant, America. As America in, bitches. let's bring slaves here to plant cotton. And this cool. is Arkansas. So yeah. this is technically the Midwest, even though Arkansas is very Southern. Um, it's very Southern. I've been to Arkansas. Yeah. There was a dog that tried to attack me there, but it's fine. I'm sure there's also <laughs> wonder. I know a dancer who does beautiful art there. So I'm not judging That's... the entire state on this dog, but I personally am traumatized by said dog. I had to get up on a bed so that I wasn't attacked. Anyways, please go on. <laughs> so random. I was attacked by a dog in Arkansas. I was. And I think his name was like something like get him Rover or some. I don't. It was get a moment. Get him. Yeah. His owner was wearing overalls before overalls were in fashion. Go on. Okay. Oh, God. Even though I try and fight the, the Southern stereotypes, sometimes they're true. Um, but also, friend, dancer, artist, does beautiful work. Yeah. Very like. Yeah, like, you know, like all places. It's a, no, we love like, Arkansas. We yeah, love we all do. the states. It's in beautiful. The states. It's just yeah. the dog I'm mad about. Go on. <laughs> that poor dog. Was, you were on his property, it sounds like. It's probably true. I'm on the dog side. I know Miriam. you are. I know that. <laughs> okay. I'm always team dog. Um, so Rosetta Tharp was born um, on March 20th, 1915 in Cotton Plant, Arkansas to Katie Bell and Willis Atkins, okay. uh, who were, they were tenant farmers. Some sources say they were cotton pickers, but I usually after, uh, after the Civil War, uh, a lot of black people became uh, migrant workers or sharecroppers or, you know, which AKA tenant farmers, right. uh, which is a form of slavery basically. But mm -hmm. um, so I just said tenant farmers. So they, but they were just like not even working class. They were probably poor, just had to work hand to mouth kind of people. Got it. Yeah. Um, now side note, some sources say that her birth name was Rosertha Atkins or Atkinson. So, but it, okay. I think it's hard to tell sometimes because with, when you're doing research on black people in this country, um, you know, from back then, it's hard to kind of tell to compare um, the uh, census report well, because I'll, sometimes. Yeah, they didn't the, care. They didn't care, but also sometimes the census takers didn't understand them right. Or sometimes they were illiterate and they just wrote it down wrong. But there was that. Yeah. Um, so but but for the most part, it's she was born on March 20th, 1915. Um, so now her mother, Katie, was also an evangelist. She was a singer okay. as well, a mandolin player and a deaconess uh, missionary at a Pentecostal church that was founded in 1897. OK, um, now. So 
Not a lot is known by her about her father, Willis, but they do know that he was a great singer. So Rosetta probably got her singing abilities from him. Okay. And then um, obviously her love of her music from her parents in general, um, and then exposure to different kinds of instruments with her mother's work at the church. So it sounds like her mother was like a, a Bible thumper, pretty much. That sounds right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just so... Pentecostal, a.k.a. sanctified, as we say in the South. Oh, I didn't know that. Pentecostal religion is, it's a Protestant part of, of Christianity, but it's like hardcore. It's like women can't wear pants. Ooh. It's like they speak in tongues. It's like conservative Christian, uh, just so you know, like Pentecostal. But they also have very spirited, as we say, spirited um um, church services because the that's music what is I, very That's what intense. I think of when I hear yeah. Pentecostal. I think of like the, and the healing. Yeah? Yeah. Well, that can also be Baptist, but Pentecostal are like oh. people who speak in tongues. Like, a, oh, like that's okay. like a Pentecostal thing. Listen, like, all of my education of this comes from the media. Like comes from like, <laughs> what's that show? It was really good. They brought it back. This is what I'm reminded of, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, <laughs> Oh, I don't know. And Tatiana Maslani played this person that is in my head right now. Anyway. Oh, you mean Black it, Orphan? No, orphan Black? No, no. Can't remember. I'll tell you later. It's because Tatiana's the, from is the detective guy, Percy Mason. 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 Oh, um, Perry um, Mason. Perry Mason. Perry Mason. That took me 12 minutes. Oh, yeah, that's minutes. right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, just so just for context, right. like Pentecostal is like hardcore, even to other uh, Protestant Christians. Oh, okay. um, but apparently in this particular uh, congregation, they really encourage like the music, musical expression, dancing, lots of dancing and praise. Uh, and interestingly enough, the women were allowed to sing and teach in this church. So, oh, oh my. Cool. Yeah. So. Um, sometimes it just depends on where, even, even if you're with a particular, uh, sect of religion, like it depends on where, at least with, uh, Protestant Christianity, yeah. where, what state you're in and which congregation, honestly, sometimes. Um, so I know early so on, little about like the differences. Well, like I was raised Baptist, right? I was raised okay. a Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist can be, be also be very intense, but in my church, my pastor was like, the church I went to mostly when I was growing up, my pastor was like a musical pastor. Like he could like really, really sing. Like oh, that's he cool. toured around when he was in college, like in a men's singing. Like he had, he was an amazing singer. And so wow, his cool. daughter was also an amazing singer. Like we had a, amazing singers in our church, like a lot of them. So he, and it was very progressive. Like none of this women can't wear pants like none okay. of that kind of stuff so but, a beautiful singing voice and like women could like wear what they wanted to no, I it was just a plain like it was a very like very i think sort of like standard baptist church but then i've heard other people who were also raised as southern baptist and there were they seem more like pentecostal like very strict in like socially strict rules so i think oh, it just depends okay. on where in the congregation so so uh they're in arkansas and like I said, her mother was like a, a her mother really believed in reaching the people <laughs> through okay. music. Okay. 
And again, she played the mandolin. Uh, she played the piano, guitar, like all kinds of stuff. So she got Rosetta into playing it. And she she knew, I think her mother just had like, she knew if she could teach this young girl how to sing and do all this stuff, that would attract, because that's how churches bring in people. It's, they really kind of like lure them in with the music, <laughs> at least black yeah. churches, they lure them in with the music. And then hopefully they get the word and they get saved while they're there, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I've, I've been to some churches. It didn't yeah. work, but they tried. It didn't work. Yeah. No. But that's how like, <laughs> it's also, it's a way to get people who are, um, you know, the, the, what do we call them? The, uh, the secular people, the non-religious people right. to bring them in. You're going to bring them in, lure them in through uh, music. Through that's a good why time. the black church. Yeah. yeah. That's why the black church like influenced so many singers because yeah, that's where they get their training almost. It's like un- informal training and performance skills. Cause like they'd be like, Oh baby, sing baby. That's how the church. So that's how to get the kids. It's like, it's all like propaganda. <laughs> And what yeah, they do through you know. music. <laughs> Does it feel good to sing? Okay. Yeah, and it feels good to sing. So See you her next mother. Week. All right. Yeah, I think her mother had this idea. Her mother had this plan, but Rosetta was also just like she took to the music. So by age okay. six, she was singing and playing the guitar in church. What? Yeah. Okay, I'm a little behind in, in educating my children. I think. Anyway. Six. Wow. She was so good. Um, and her mother, so it'd be her and, and her mother would be doing like singing and performing. Oh, how cute is that? So cute. That's but then adorable. she was really good. Like her mother would com- accompany her on the guitar or the mandolin, uh, on, uh, the piano, whatever. And little Rosetta learned how, like, and she obviously had a, a singing voice. And usually when people find out that they can sing, they love singing. So, um, and I can just only imagine how cute it was, but she was so good that people did not believe their eyes when they saw her. Wow. They were like, she okay. was a wonderkin. She was a musical prodigy. Like, really? Wow. Um, she might have been. So much so that they called her by this time, uh, age six, uh, they called her Little Rosetta. Uh, she was just like a wonderkin. So, um, she was so popular and the church became so popular because of this little wonderkin and just like the singing and uh, guitar playing and this miracle of it uh, that they started. And her mother also, again, believed in, um, you know, um, spreading the word through music, especially. So they began to tour around. And this is like one of those, like everyone's heard of like the Chitlin circuit or what have you, but this is, there's always been a circuit, a gospel circuit or evangelical troop circuit where these people travel around different churches. Yeah. So it's like a tour, but it's like a church tour. So is it the same, like the same, um, Oh, what's the word? Uh, version of the, like all the, like all the evangelical churches or all the, or would you go into different, um, denominations is the word I'm thinking of. Exactly. So, you know how like like a tour, what we think of as a tour, people go to different venues throughout different cities. Right. So this is what they were doing. But the venues are the churches that were that are within that same um, uh, form of religion, that same um, you just said it denomination. Why can't we remember this word? It's not a hard word, but it's I mean, some of the greats have come from this. So this is in obviously 1920s, but like. 
um, Sam Cooke came through this. Yeah. Um, uh, or the great Aretha Franklin, yeah. you know, but this a lot of uh, black performers that became like household names and like successful artists. A lot of times they got they cut their teeth on this kind of tour. I gotcha. I you didn't see. Okay. I didn't yeah. really know that. I knew like a, I knew Aretha came from from ch- a yeah. church background, but I didn't realize like it was really a tour. They were really singing every night and. Yeah, just like and like every Sunday kind of thing. And the tour, like if you have vacation Bible school or like just, a, a, you know, a visiting um, congregation. And like I, I remember like even when I was in church, I was in the youth choir, of course, like we would go to visiting churches, but it was just in the city. But I think once you they realize how good you were, they would like invite you to these oh. other churches wanted they wanted to see. And then that would get congregation to come in. Uh, people to visiting because they heard about little Rosetta. So they're like, I want to see this six-year-old. I mean, I want to see little Rosetta. I'll be honest. I want to see a little six-year-old play the guitar and and sing. Are you kidding me? So yeah, yeah, that's fine. So, but she was so good. So, so good that, uh, and she had developed a following. (laughs) So, but by the mid 1920s, when she was about 10 or 11, she and her mother moved away because you can imagine they're living in cotton plant. Like they're struggling. So where's her father at this point? Uh, the mother and the father broke up. So again, okay. not not a lot is known about why they broke up or like, but this is a hard life being, you yeah. know, a migrant worker working on these, you know, once formerly plantations that are still working like plantations. Like mm-hmm. this is not glamorous work. And they, they haven't really opened up avenues for black people to really make a living, uh, particularly black women. So a lot of times that's why black people got into pr- the performing arts as well, because you could actually make a living. Um, and you know, once you realize you have talent, you also fall in love as we both know with performing as well. So, um, but a lot of, you know, with a great migration, uh, of black people out of the South. So, which started around this time. So eventually, um, her and her mother left and moved to Chicago. I was just going to say, was it Chicago? Cause there's a whole, I know about that history. Public school taught me a little. I remember the well, chapter, The Great Migration. We yeah, were not we... nice to black people even after the Civil War. And so they left where they you found peace and joy in Chicago. End of book. Bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, she's being sarcastic, of course. But like being this very is sarcastic. For, yeah. for our listeners who don't know, The Great Migration is in reference to uh, black people leaving the South in droves and going to the North and going to Northern cities and Midwestern city, bigger cities to find opportunities for work. Um, because yeah. she's right. They, after the, I can speak to this, this is my family, basically, even though my family went more Southern, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I, trace, I was like, like, you're from Florida. What are you talking about? <laughs> my family, like I trace them back to like some of my ancestors to plantations in like North Carolina, South Carolina, but then like as the years went on, they then they show up in Georgia, Alabama, Florida. I'm like, so wow. you guys are going the wrong like way. The deep South. Okay. <laughs> you know what they were looking for? Work. Migrant yeah. farmers. That, yeah. That's what they were looking for. Because Florida had the um the orange groves. Yes. Like as well as other um so they would follow seasonal work and then you realize um Oh, we can actually get steadier work, and then you go throughout Florida. But that's what I realized because I was I, when I started looking into that, I was like, "You guys are going the wrong way. No, go the <laughs> other way." But uh, my people went more southern, but a lot of black people went, like Rosetta Northern. and her mom, yeah, went up to um, 
to Chicago and they called her mother. Um, actually, her mother was referred to as Mother Katie. Mother okay. Katie. So it's like a, it's like a very church and religious thing. So uh, so when they went to Chicago, because, again, her mother's a Bible thumper. So they yeah. settled at the the Roberts Temple Church of God um, in okay. Christ on 40th Street. And now, like a lot of black people who moved from the south to the north during this time, they had there was culture shock. I don't think people realize the United States is very big. And yeah. so when you move like. When we move from the East Coast out here, when I move from the East Coast out here, it's culture shock. It's different. It's, it's all different. American, but it yeah. is different. So they, their culture I mean, shock I've, was I've not. Traveled, I've traveled to the Midwest and I grew up in California with like, even though I was in a town with not a ton of Jews, it's not that far from LA and it was fine. California is very sort of liberal. It was fine, but I have like I remember being a teenager and going to Minnesota in the mm -hmm. outskirts and I was suddenly um, a Jesus Othered. killer. That was awkward. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I, you think, you think from the outside America is one thing and then you travel through America and you're like, wow, it's, is not, it's different. Yeah. It's different. Um, that's why, I mean, there's certain things that we can say, Oh, that's American or, but when you're talking about Americana, it just depends on where in the country you are and what time period, you know, um, certain cities yeah, have very specific and they have subcultures too, like within mm -hmm. these cities, like even in the South, the South is different. Texas is different than Florida. Florida is different than Georgia. Like, you know, there's some similarities, like you can see it in the barbecue. There's different kinds. Of, there's North Carolina barbecue, about which that. I don't like, but then there's Texas barbecue. Then there's like, you know, wow, um, Levetta, I think you just started a barbecue war. When you just said that I'm right sorry, now. guys. I do not like Carolina barbecue. Nope. Wow. Nope. It's too I much think vinegar. That I'm not allowed to be friends with you anymore because <laughs> Sal is it's really mad right now. What? Calm, calm, I, calm down. I'm just kidding. I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, guys, I'm just saying, but, but just, just so people know, like, she so when she moves, she and her mother moved to Chicago, you know, um, they the they and they, they go to this church, but they're also being influenced by other black people who've moved there. So they're being influenced oh, by okay. the Delta Blues. They're being influenced by uh, New Orleans jazz. They're nice. being influenced by all kinds of things. Um, and they obviously have a very strong Southern gospel background. But at this church, she actually performed even more and then obviously continued the tour. But like her musical style became her own. And it's kind of I think this is that 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 mashup is what people think of like, like traditional, like the root of like black music, because it is a, a, a gumbo, if you will, it's a gumbo of a bunch of things. Um, but all of these, like, you know, Delicious. jazz, obviously we know jazz uh, originated out of new Orleans, but like, there's probably different forms. Like once these people left new Orleans and uh, went into different parts of the country then, and then other musicians there, then they had their own spin on jazz. And then like, that's why even in like soul music, there's like Memphis soul. Then there's like, you know, um, uh, California, there's California soul, there's Detroit soul, there's like different kinds of soul music. And so there's also different kinds of black music. So in the United States, but listen, do you remember the show in New York? Ain't nothing but the blues. This will date me. It was a long time ago. No. Oh, it's so good. That. I have the CD, which also <laughs> will date me. 
Um, so I'm pretty sure that I know all about the history of black music because not only did I watch the show on Broadway with privileged money, I bought the CD. So, so you know all about I all of black music. I actually don't need to know anything else because <laughs> I have the entirety of the education necessary. Yes. Thanks. Okay. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I realize, she's like, obviously oh my God, playing All people. I know is this one CD. <laughs> Miriam, you're not doing much to play down that, that uh, Karen. <laughs> I just decided moniker. to lean in. <laughs> I think so. I uh, have one black friend. Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, with you. <laughs> oh god. So, okay, um, so, but it was here in Chicago where, like, she again, she continued to perform. Her and her mother, yeah. and her, but her fame grew because again, she's only ten or eleven. Oh my god, I keep forgetting she's only ten or eleven. Yeah. Child. And okay. They continued to tour as well on these church tours, um, and then, but again, her fame she became even more famous. Uh, and she became really known as like that little girl who with the guitar, with a big guitar, like, yeah. Okay. Cute. Right. So she stayed there. And then about, uh, around 1934 at age 19, she married, uh, a a preacher at the temple by the name of Thomas Thorpe. Uh Um, and he was someone who had accompanied her and her mother on many of the tours. And and apparently her mother highly encouraged the marriage as well because her mother's old school, you know, marry Um, her before you touch her. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. the marriage uh, lasted only a few years, uh, but she decided to adopt a version of her husband's last name as a stage name, becoming Sister Rosetta Tharp. And that's where the sister comes from. She's traveling in the the church. Got it. Uh, Yes. Got yeah, it. Singing gospel not music. Not a nun. Got it. Now, many of her friends thought that Thomas was just using her talent to prop up his congregation and was never really interested in personally in her or her gifts. Um, also, he was like really old fashioned, like a lot of these sort of religious guys. He just basically believed a woman should be seen and not heard and oh, should cute. only here be here to serve her man, basically. So. Oh. You can imagine, though, like whether her mother intended to or not, like when you're out there performing and and they say she had this performing style where she would like, you know, because traditionally like old Negro spirituals, which is where gospel comes from, is, you know, usually kind of somber, you know, songs of redemption and and suffering. But like the way she sang gospel, she put it like a very light touch on it. It's very like hopeful and enthusiastic. Um, and they said often when she would sing, she'd be looking up into uh, the sky like she's communing with God on her own. But she'd have like this big smile on her face. Like, so that's another thing that attracted people that they could hear gospel yeah. music and feel hopeful and like spirit. Like it's a truly spiritual like uh, experience, but a spiritual uh, that you would watch her and feel hopeful and good. I mean, and that was her power. Yeah, I would enjoy that, too, I think. Yeah. As a Jewish person, but yeah. maybe not. You know what I mean? Like, that's just that sounds very like she connected to humanity in a way that exactly. people were not used to and really, really loved. That's Yeah. Cool. So now in 1938. Uh, so the marriage ended in 1938 right. at age 23. She left her husband. <laughs> I feel and like so much has happened in her life and she's only 23. Only 23. Yeah. Oh my God. But okay. at this point, she yeah. is a, what, a 17 year veteran 
of yeah, singing. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, at 23. Same. So she and her mother decided to move to New York City because um, okay. I think they really decided to kind of take this like um, her gifts, her musical gifts and really like take it on the road and make a living at it. Yeah, good. Um, and although she would uh, marry several times after this, she would re- uh, remain um, Rosetta Tharp for the rest of her life oh. as a professional name. Okay. Now, of course, because she's, you know, she's, again, she's locally ta- uh, famous. Like, even in New York, they've heard of her. So once she arrives, and it's the 1930s in Harlem. Okay. Oh, yeah. So she performs at the Cotton Club with Cab Calloway. And uh, with a John Hammond's um, Spirituals to Swing concert at Carnegie Hall. Wow. Um, both of which, you know, gained her uh, even more fame and a little notoriety because suddenly, again, she comes from a very religious background, even though she's been singing all these most of her life. But then suddenly you're in the Cotton Club, which is a very secular, yes. non-religious I was just going to say that must have been a huge, like... moment for her you know but she went with it because again this is where like you know black music different forms of black music is meshing together which is very american um Mm -hmm. she she went she went along with it but her friends back in chicago were hearing about this and they were kind of scandalized because these are like women again who only wear dresses and skirts and like very conservative socially conservative women um, but, you know, um, and that that is a fear that religious people have about the industry. Like, yes, they feel like everybody's mm-hmm. going to become a drug addict or a prostitute if they start singing secular music. They really kind of believe that. I actually like very still to this day. I remember um, a friend of my parents told me I was like 20. I was like in my 20s. I was still being like, I'm a famous actress. No one can stop me. Um, And they were saying like that someone had called into some like religion show and said, hey, I want to be an actor, but I don't want my morality to be. I don't know what the word was to be. And the, the response was, you should go be an actor and teach morality to all those. This was like. 15 years ago. When I say 15 years ago, I obviously mean 20 years ago because I don't want to be the age that I am, but it is what it is. So here we are. And I remember like having to be like, I, the, the, no one who, what do you think is happening? They waiting think that five hours to audition to save three lines of a monologue and then you go home. Nothing is happening. And then you're you know, in a show and you're just tired because you, you've been rehearsing for three hours and you'd like to go home now. You know what they think? They think all of that stuff that came out with the Harvey Weinstein thing. Yeah. They think everybody's experience. And, and they also, think everybody in Hollywood is behaving And that let's way. be like real. They were being abused, right? Yeah. Like these women were not like, oh, I guess I'm going to get naked and curse all day. You know, like this, no. this idea that like the entertainment that the fact that it's still around that they're the, what's wrong with the world or, or what's like that there is still an ideology of that is, is crazy to me. It's, it's like everything. I mean, there's, to be fair, there is an element of that, but I think there's an element of that in every in industry. Every, there's in there's every an element industry. of that in the religious uh-huh. uh, sector. I'm just, yeah, I mean, yep. should we go yep. there? No, we're not going to go there. I don't but, know. That's just, dangerous. We're but, poking I mean, this the bear, is 19, I know. 
But this is the 1930s, especially. Right. So, you okay. know, they definitely thought right. that. And so, but she, she went along with it. She was like, this is part of show business. I think she had been traveling long enough to realize that yeah. it's also, and like you said, I also think that there's a part of her that's like, yeah, I'm actually like what this advice was. I'm actually um, bringing the gospel to these yeah, people right? while What's they're wrong? singing and tapping. And that's kind of like her style. Like even in the gospel songs, it's very swingy. It was very like energetic. It was very bright and hopeful in the way in her performances. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so needless to say, even though some of the songs she was singing was uh, had a religious tone to it and some of it was secular. She was very popular, obviously. Okay. She's at Cotton Club and um, all of these places. So on that same year, on October 31st, she recorded for the first time. So she recorded. Ah, very cool. Um, four sides for the De- for Decca record. So four songs. The first uh, gospel songs to be recorded, reportedly. Oh, really? Yep. So, okay. So we talked about Mamie Smith. Mm-hmm. And she was the first, was it blues? Blues, yeah. So the, okay, this is amazing. It's yeah. 34? 1930, That's, yeah, 1934. That feels late. Doesn't it feel late to you? Yeah. 1938, yeah. actually. 1938. So, but again, that's when, and I was saying that with the Mamie Smith one, like, black audiences have been seeing these people for years, too. Yeah. You know? Right. But like being recorded is a different thing. It's just like mm-hmm. it's just like the vaudeville performers or the Chit- Chitlin Circuit performers. Yeah. By the time they got to like Hollywood and got filmed, they were like they're 30, 40 years in. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're old hat and they're making five times as much money to do like a portion of the work that they were doing on the road. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. But this is the first uh, recorded uh, gospel songs. Uh, the first one was called That's Rock amazing. Me. Okay. which was a massive and controversial hit. Uh, she also recorded That's All, My Man and I, and The Lonesome Road. All of them were instant hits at establishing her an overnight sensation uh, and one of the first commercially successful gospel recording artists. Wow. This is in the 30s. I've now, never Rock heard Me. Of her. I Rock know. Me, why was it controversial? It was controversial because there's a part in it where she's like, so even though it's a gospel song, the way she there's a growl she does or rock me, it made it sound sex sexual Ooh, girl. And this is it. what they mean about like secular versus like, mm. you know, you know, religious like it's again. So it was kind of it was controversial with her people that. But again, okay. it was designated as a gospel song. But the way she's singing it sounds very secular. It's like it's like there's even a different approach to the way you sing gospel versus the way you sing R&B, the way you sing pop. There is a slight difference. Now, a lot of the genres have meshed up. And unfortunately, I feel like a lot of the young artists don't know the difference. <laughs> You're going to you know, teach like, them, Levetta. <laughs> no, I, and I trust me, I am not a pro. But grow, having grown up in the church and having the privilege of having a, a pastor and a, you know, very like, spirited and and wonderful musical um world in my church when you watch like whenever i watch like musical competition shows or like or when you see white artists who are trying to replicate yeah uh they do the riffing is the thing riffing is like comes out of gospel music um in a lot of ways and i'm like they're singing like they're singing 
like they're singing in church and they don't quite know what they're doing. Like they don't know the purpose of riffing. Um, it's all, it's all the, ah, ah, it's all of that. And it's like, they're just doing it, but it's like, they're not really, they don't really know the source of it or the reason that the yeah. artist is choosing to, to do those kinds of things. Like that kind of stuff annoys me. So when I'm watching, Listen, I'm like, just sing the damn song, just sing I, the fucking song. <laughs> I get it because first of all, I'm a snob too about so many things, but second of all, like, it just comes off as not the song. And when you see it, when it's yeah. done correctly, you're not questioning it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's natural. It makes sense. It's like when I see Shakespeare being done by like, and I love him, but Keanu Reeves, you know, like, <laughs> dude, like be a movie star and like, give to the world. Like you're amazing, but like, maybe don't mutter Shakespeare's beautiful lines. Maybe you should <laughs> enunciate like a little Anyways, I, I know that's not the point I'm at all. Team Keanu, so I will say that when that was when he was much younger and okay. didn't realize that he shouldn't be doing Shakespeare. It, he shouldn't be doing Shakespeare with a dude. Accent. I was so mad, dude, and yet he's great. Did you see yes. the movie Always Be My Maybe? Of course, of course. Oh my god, I can watch it all day. I make people watch that scene with him. Listen, oh if you god. haven't watched this movie, it's like it's Ali Wong. It's a year oh, or two. Her. It was like three years ago, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Before um, the pandemic. Yeah. Watch it again. If you have, it's so funny and it's so, it's and Keanu so, Reeves is, uh, and we love Keanu Reeves and I heard that he's like the best guy in the world and we I love have him. To. Like, so he was very young and I remember when I saw it, he was like, dude, it's like, no, you do not deliver Listen, Shakespeare. When I first met my <laughs> husband and he was like, I thought Keanu was good. I almost left him. I almost <laughs> broke up with the man who really should be my husband because he's the only one who could deal with someone like me. Um, but I was like, I need a minute to process what you just said. I know. And yeah. I know. All right. Yeah. As a total but side note, you can go. <laughs> as it was, so back to Rock Me. But she performed yeah. it like kind of sexual, even though it's a gospel song. So that's why okay. it was kind of controversial. Now, now, Rock Me would later be cited as being a major influence on many rock and roll uh, singers such as Elvis, Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis. OK, so oh. they're children and probably not even born when the song comes out, like or just being born. Uh, and again, and I cannot true. stress to you how much she was everywhere. Yeah. Like everywhere. Like she was a huge star. Okay. That's amazing. Now, a short while later, because these records did so well, she signed a 10 year contract. Wow. And many churchgoers were shocked by the mixture, again, of even though these singles were gospel songs, but they felt like it was a mixture of gospel sound, uh, bass lyrics with okay. a secular sound of music but because again the chords are different you use different chords and people yeah. who are in the music know can explain this much better than me um but they were kind of shocked and they not everybody was happy about her success because they felt okay. like the change a lot of her old you know stomping ground and, and again she remember she's like a veteran of the church circuit of performing yeah so many of them felt a little betrayed because they felt like she was kind of selling out musically. Um, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, some historians speculate, though, that they and she would hint at it later that she felt a little pressure around this time to sing the kind of music that her manager and her label heads were giving I her. I was just going to ask that. Yeah, because she's 23. 
exactly. She's still a child in my head. Now that I have children, I understand that 20s is now still children because my children yeah. will never grow up and that's a problem for them, but not for me. <laughs> so, but yeah, she like, again, she felt a little pressure, but she's thinking this is what we've been working for. Also, keep in mind, she's a single lady now divorcing a woman ah, and her yeah. mother was with her still. They're very close. So she has her mother and herself to take care of. And they're offering you a 10-year contract. You know, yeah. I mean, I listen, I don't blame her. Yeah. At all. And this is a very common music industry thing. Like, it's mm -hmm. still to this day. Um, Actually, you know what this reminded me of? I don't know if people realize that Amy Grant came out, what, in the 90s? Yes. And that song, Baby, Baby. Because Amy baby. Grant came out of the religious yeah. tour circuit. It's as well. And when she came out, I remember um, one of my uh, aunt and uncle, they were very, very religious. I don't think they were Pentecostal, but maybe they were, but they were like super religious. And yeah. I remember my aunt being so mad. She was just like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like she turned away from God. So, yeah. That was yeah, in the 90s. And, and you know what, though? Everyone's going to have their opinion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't mean that the things you are doing for the secular community are, is, is a bad thing. Does that exactly. make sense? And you know what? The secular audiences ate it up. They loved it. They were yeah. like, yeah, because uh, keep in mind, a lot of the audiences are black uh, uh, listeners as well as then white people are like, what are those black people doing over there? And then they're like, this is great. <laughs> but like the black people are like, because it reminds them all of them are going being made to go to church. <laughs> so right. this is all familiar to them. But it's fresh, it's hip, it's, it's newer, yeah. it's more hip. It's not like fuddy-duddy religious, even though these are gospel songs. It's like hip, though. So this, all of this sounds familiar to them. They like the mixture that, you know, Ray Charles did the same thing. He came out of the church. And when he started performing, they were like, why are you doing, why are you singing the devil's music with, like, this gospel with tinge? It, like, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a Wonderful World is the devil's music. Can we talk about no, that like for a his minute? earlier stuff is <laughs> okay. earlier stuff. But um, now later in 1942, uh, in reference to this uh, music critic, Maury, uh, Maury Oren Decker, uh, Denker described uh, Rosetta's Rock Me uh, as and he, he said, quote, he wrote, quote, it's Ros uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp for the rock and roll spiritual singing, end quote. Um, now she would also become a racial pioneer in many ways because her talent was so undeniable. She was so electrifying that, uh, white singing groups wanted to work with her. Okay. And throughout her career, she would often play and tour with, uh, a white singing group called the Jordanaires. Um, and this was unusual. White and black people did not play yeah, music that was, together, that was which is crazy. Unusual. Yeah. Like, it's just it's like black people create the music and then the white people come steal it and and do an all white band and they play the music, which is not as good as the black version of it. But white audiences are like, yeah, I can listen to it because white people are playing it. I think Hairspray just does it. Yes. Like, that there's a montage that just really defines a generation of music thievery. You yep. know, it's just literally like it's good. It's good. And then like, oh. Oh, that does sound like every other white song. Oh, they yep. did. That makes. Oh, I see what happened. Okay. Well, this goes back to. Um, uh, oh, gosh. Uh, why am I escaping? Why is it? Uh, um, 
blackface, but what what's minstrelsy? Minstrel. This is all minstrelsy. For those of you who don't know, minstrelsy basically. Well, there's different versions of how it started, but basically, in the I believe the 1840s or the 1850s, uh, a white traveling um, uh, actor was visiting the South, and he was visiting a plantation, and this is an actor, and he observed the slaves like performing probably on their day one day off or one afternoon off and he observed them singing probably spirituals and like just having fun blowing off steam yeah and he came up with the idea or a group of them came up with the idea to recreate what he had seen mm. and put mm. it on stage and mm-hmm. paint his face black mm. and it was massively successful yeah so much so that it went all over the world that's why sometimes you'll see like remnants of minstrelsy like blackface like i think in in asia you'll see like blackface toothpaste you're like what the fuck is this but (laughs) it all began in the mid 1800s white people saying oh let's pretend to be black people on stage and paint our faces black and then what's so fucked up is that black performers also had to use blackface in order to be able to get bookings and work as an actor during this time but that's how successful you know how like K-pop is huge. Minstrelsy was 10 times as popular as K-pop was. So, Lavetta, first of all, thank <laughs> you for that background. I didn't know it was like such a simple moment that I mean, it's made... under up for debate, but that's one of the explanations like but it's basically <sighs> to describe why white people started wearing blackface and performing. I, I've seen like old video i don't know why i got but of a minstrel show and it yeah. is the most disturbing disturbing it's confusing you're like why am i watching and they and they don't they don't make sense because they change the the language to sound as dumb as like for the one quote, clip unquote, that black. i saw yeah, yeah quote unquote right like with yeah. watermelon and like yep it's just it just feeds the stereotype and America and I guess the entire world. I didn't realize that just loved that. Wow. Well, what they were responding to was the rhythm, the rhythm, the rhythm, the yeah. the uh, of the black musicians who were not getting any money. That's why we need our reparations. But um, yeah. Oh, yeah. run us our money. But uh, <laughs> but that's why. So what's what's in- your wait, Lavetta? What's your Venmo? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Hey, I will put it out. Send yeah, me don't some do money. it. Take, make that money, girl. <laughs> Send me some money. I'm all about that. Uh, yeah. Been more black person today, but like, so we're in the 40s. So we're like basically 90 years, 100 years away from the start of menstruacy. But now black yeah. people are actually doing their own um, mm-hmm. musicians because they, you know, they're uh, out of bondage and they're traveling around. So that's why when you see these black performers, that's why the music resonates because Americans are already. Um, this is already in the American soil, in American yeah. air. So by the time these black performers, that's why when you see these black performers, that's why when jazz became a thing in the 15, uh, 1915, 1916, the 20s, white people are like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then they, you know, they uh, what, what's the word? I that think the word use? is um, steal. 
They yeah. stole it. That's the yes. word. Sometimes I forget words, but I'm pretty sure that that's the one that is appropriate to yeah. this conversation. Appropriated. So appropriated. Um, so much. So this is. So she again, but she was just amazing. So she was so so successful. She's got albums out. Da da da. Um, now, unconsciously, all of us have been taught basically that guitars are for boys. Oh God! And the same was true during that time. Um, so much so that she would actually play with that kind of uh, thinking, and she would often boast that she could quote play like a man end quote. And she would challenge men to battles at the Apollo. Oh, my God. I love her. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Get it, girl. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I wish I could see that. (laughs) I know, right? Like, it was just like, this girl can't do anything. And she's just playing under the table. Like, Mm -hmm. she was amazing. Now, she also continued um, her recording success throughout uh, the 40s. She's one of the few uh, gospel singers uh, and black singers to record uh, songs for the troops overseas. Oh, wow. Um, And as you can imagine, the black troops were probably uh, thrilled because they probably had seen her in person. Um, She recorded a song called Strange Things Happening Every Day in 1944 with Sammy Price, um, Decca's house boogie woogie pianist. Um, she also appeared in Billboard magazine, uh, Harlem hit parade. Um, she, uh, oh, oh, and this in 1944, this okay. record, Harlem hit parade is called the first rock and roll record. What? Really? Wait, yeah. nobody knows this. Okay. Some people I'm know sure this. Mo- mo- I'm sure I'm just ignorant, but yeah. say it again. She yes. recorded the first album that was considered a rock she and roll She recorded. Album? She recorded. Not only did she record the first gospel song. Uh-huh. She recorded the first rock and roll record in 1944. Okay, I'm Boom. so mad that I didn't know that. Yep. A black woman did that. A black woman did it first. So, uh, with all her success, she didn't slow down. Um, she just continued to tour. Um, and then in 19, in the 1940s, she, uh, had a performance with a fellow musician, female, uh, uh, musician called Marie Knight. And the two decided to tour together, uh, on a circuit. So they were okay. double headliners. Wow. Yeah. That and they traveled around together. Yeah. Now, when I say tour, black people touring around this time, it was like not fancy it was not glamorous uh jim crow made it so that they couldn't stay in a lot of places it was just like but they actually toured together sync like without anybody else as a duo oh and they they recorded a hit song called up above my head and gospel train um and they became really close so close in fact that many people and the gospel community and the worldwide speculated that Marie and Rosetta maintained a ro- romantic and sexual relationship. You know what? I hope they did. And I hope it was beautiful and they lived their best fucking life. That is what I hope. I hope they now, found like like Nirvana. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In this fucked up world, they got that They joy. probably did. Yeah. Now, even though... She never publicly came out because that just wasn't a thing for a lot of queer people. And a lot of them didn't even have the language to express what they were uh, feeling or their experiences in life. So many but many of Rosetta and Marie's friends report that they were indeed a couple 
Okay. Like they were like it was an open secret. Um, And many historians believe that throughout her life, she had many relationships with men and women. She was probably bisexual. Yeah. That's real. Um, which is interesting, though, because, it's again, this is a very a long time, right? Go I know on. this is a very religious woman. So. Yeah, you know, I I think it's just very interesting. She's just. Yeah. Yes. But the reality is, like, you are who you are. But and I, and I agree with you, but I think I'm, I'm just so impressed with her that she lived her life the way she wanted to but i can only imagine it during this time they didn't have the the language they didn't have i wonder if a part of her thought she was going to hell but she couldn't help herself like we just will never know because people didn't have there's no therapy people aren't going to therapy and talk about their feelings they they just read the bible right (laughs) and i wonder and this is very ignorant of me i have no idea but my experience growing up in like the 80s in a world that was pretty homophobic. Yeah, very homophobic, I want to say, as a child. I learned what gay was when I was 11. And when I learned it, I learned that it was between two men. I learned it because Rock Hudson died. And the response was like, ugh, I, what? Well, he was what? Oh, oh, it's between two men. And then a year later, I'm having an argument with a friend who tells me that women can be gay also. And I'm like, no, this is where I come from. So I'm wondering if back then there really was no, no language. So maybe she didn't even think of it as, yeah, it was just, they were very good friends and they had feelings like that, that were ill-defined. Yeah. Good. Who Live knows? your best life. You don't need to judge yeah, yourself. Look- but it sounds like she, if she had other relationships with uh, other women and men, it like it sounds like she accepted that part of her, and I'm and I hope so. That is my hope for her. Me too. Um, now, starting in 1949, uh, their their uh, partnership uh, started to take a downturn, and also Mahalia Jackson was starting to become the gospel voice. I've heard of her. uh, of that time, but Marie also uh, wanted to to become a do a solo act and wanted to do popular music so she wanted to you know take her stuff in uh, a different direction but also around this time Maurice lost her her uh her children and her mother in a house fire oh my god yeah oh that's horrific so they ended their uh uh partnership and like but remain friends throughout their lives and like so now Rosetta's like you know she's finding the slump in her, her career and then like what to do. And so, um, so she's just trying to sort of f- figure out what is her next move. Um, but that same year in 1949, uh, to commemorate her first anniversary of being a homeowner in Richmond, Virginia, okay. she put in a con, she did a concert at the Altria uh, theater. Okay. Um, and, she she then adopted some singers called the Twilight Singers that became her backup singers for the rest of her career called the Rosettes. Cute. Um, yeah. Adopted. Now, she ba- they basically just became part of her her okay. traveling Got thing. It. Like, yeah, uh, I know that's how they say it, but it's just like she basically became they became her backup singers. Okay. Uh, they became her pips. So yeah. um, now she also got married again. She would get married like four times, I believe. You know, all in all. Um, and you got to try things on to see if they fit. I know. That's all now, she's some doing. People, you know, 
that's what I mean, because you, as an artist, you have to innovate. You have to figure out how to get the, the, the word out. Now, some people think that this next marriage was a publicity stunt, though, because she basically married this guy. She had just met this guy. His name was Russell Morrison. But her managers came up with this idea that they would uh, promote this as a concert wedding and they sold tickets. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. 25,000 people showed up. Shut up. In Washington, D.C. in 1951 to watch she and Russell get married. And it became a concert afterwards. Afterwards, And she, it was like huge. But apparently, by all accounts, Russell uh, started taking it like he wanted to become her manager. So he signed on as her manager. And people were like, he was not a manager. He was not a good manager. But it but it worked because 25,000 people showed up. I mean, huge... it worked for this like moment. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. And again, people. he would become the rest of he would become her manager for the rest of her life, which a lot of people feel like that's the reason that more people don't know about her, why her legacy has not been as widespread as it should be, because her talent was undeniable and enormous. Yeah. But Russell was not a good manager. That's such wasn't. a shame. Yeah. Oh, so my God. Um, just a little bit more here. So she conti- but she continued to record throughout the 50s. Um, and in 1957, she was booked for a month long tour in the UK by British trombonist Chris Barber. OK. Um, and she continued to tour nonstop through 1959 and her home base became Philadelphia. Uh, okay. And when she was in Philadelphia, she'd like to go fishing uh, with her husband and her dog Chubby on her Cute. days off. <laughs> now, side note. The couple bought their concrete uh, brick row house in 1962 for $13,450 in Yorktown section of North Philadelphia, which has been which was added to the historic register in 2022. Oh, wow. That's very recent. Yeah, that's fantastic. Also, can we talk about a house sold for $13,000? Just oh, yeah, for it's fine. I'm totally fine. Yeah. Go on. That won't even get you a car nowadays. So, no, um, it will literally now, not. Okay, sorry, go on. In the early 1960s, she toured England again, but more extensively this time, capitalizing on the new interest in folk music. Now, the oh. British, white British people went crazy for black music in the 60s. Yeah. Like, they freaked the fuck out. Yeah. And she was part of this touring of, like, by this time, like, veteran black blues and... uh so i mean jazz singers and gospel singers and it was like there's actually when you go on youtube you see this there's this like famous uh video of her singing in the rain in this like uh like old train station she's on this platform and she has on like this i think it's a fur coat and she has this guitar and she's singing and when she opens her mouth the audience of like mostly really young white british people freak the fuck out because they've been listening to like white, less quality versions of black American music. They must have lost their damn minds. So when like, they hear the real thing, yes, it's like, holy shit. <laughs> like, they freak also, the fuck the out. Also, the 60s were definitely, you know, it's the civil rights movement. It was a time of, it was a time of like, eyes eyes opening up to like history and young people like as we do know started asking questions and being like where did things come from and 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 why is why is every old person racist like what's happening 
The English don't have that kind of racism, at least against uh, uh, for American black people. Like, right. England has their own thing, right? They do have their own problems. Yeah, yeah. But like, they're like black people in America sound are awesome. (laughs) They're like (laughs) this music is clearly superior, and because they don't have, they're not coming to listening to the music with their preconceived notions. They're like, this is amazing. Bob Dylan even said, once said, quote, I'm sure there are a lot of young English guys who picked up electric guitars after getting a look at her, end quote, uh, uh, during this time. That's like, awesome. Because you see her, she has this electric guitar, and she, you're just like, what is I... Because in the modern world, we associate rock and roll, particularly uh, uh, guitar players with men and particularly white yeah. men with long hair. Yeah. That was like codified <laughs> in the 60s and the 70s, right? Yes. But it's because, and a lot of people directly bring it back to this performance and this tour. Wow. They saw her with this electric guitar and then other black men with this, like other black people with, and they were just like, what is going on? So they picked up a guitar um, and then the rest is history. So that's amazing. Um, that's why I have a theory that that's why sometimes we have like some of our best blue eyed soul singers, meaning white soul singers come mm-hmm. from England because I really feel like they approach the music because at its core, soul music is working class music. Yeah. So they really approached it like with no preconceived notions, like they wanted to replicate and, and give their own spin on something because they genuinely admired the, the, like soul music so they're not trying to like sing better than black people they're not trying to do all the riffing and stuff they're just trying to make it sound as soulful as possible yeah from Um, their own experience which i think is different than the white musicians in america thieving or like trying to feel like sometimes it's like you're putting on a character it's like what we tell actors don't play like don't play a baker just play a person having a human experience or as robin williams said be yourself be yourself (laughs) thank you for letting me have that moment (laughs) r.i.p robin williams uh (laughs) so she continued to have uh to go on to successful you know again still be successful she had the first nationally broadcast gospel music television program called tv gospel time awesome um she only received one Grammy nomination in her career for best gospel soul performance in 1968 uh, for uh, uh, for the album Precious Memories. Okay, uh, Did she win? which is uh, no. Uh, now, in April and May of 1964, again, she toured this this caravan, this gospel and blues caravan, and this is what, along with Muddy Waters, oh, Otis yeah. Spann. Lily Willie Smith, Reverend See, Gary this, Davis. This is my education. Ain't nothing but yeah. the blues. I know everything. So, so this is, again, this is where these British <laughs> awesome. kids were like, what the fuck is going on? Like, it just blew their minds. Uh, and it was televised. It just became a huge, huge thing. But again, check out this YouTube video. When you see her on there, you're like, what is going on? I, I'm um, going to watch it. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, Rosetta's biographer uh, said in 2018 that, quote, she influenced Elvis Presley. She influenced Johnny Cash. She influenced Little Richard. She influenced everybody. And when they asked her about music, about rock and roll, she reportedly said, quote, oh, these kids and rock and roll. This is just sped up rhythm and blues. I've been doing that forever. End quote. (laughs) Again, bitches, a black woman wielding a Gibson Les Paul S.G., did it first before little Richard 
I love her. Before Chuck Berry. Oh, my God. Yes, girl. Sister Rosetta Clark did it. So now, uh, so she continued to perform throughout uh, the 60s and early 70s, but she began to have health problems. I think all the touring. And I think you just don't go to the hospital because one of her friends said that she saw like a little black spot on one of her feet and was like, you need to go and have that checked out. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it got bigger. And then she finally went to the hospital uh, to the doctors and and realized that she had diabetes. Oh, no. Um, But in 1970, she had a stroke. And due to diabetes complications, one of her one of her legs had to be amputated. Aye. Yeah. Oh, that's but true. she still kept working and making music a few years later. Uh, but a few years later, on October 9th, 1973, on the eve of a scheduled recording session, she actually died in Philadelphia oh. uh, after having another stroke. So um, but yeah, like it's it's the, the you know, traveling on the road. It's, it's like hard on the body um, and you're not eating well and then you're not getting exercise and then the stress of being black in America. That's a whole nother thing. Is that stressful? Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now her last known recording was in 1970 for a Danish TV uh, show singing Thomas Dorsey's gospel standard. Take my hand, precious Lord. Oh, I love that song. Um, Now, despite having making a good living as a gospel singer, she was buried without a headstone in 1973. But in, in 2008, yeah. a group of enthusiasts raised money to place a marble headstone on her grave um, as a tribute to her as the, this trailblazing woman. Now, I'm going to speed up because this is getting a little long. But three years later, the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission placed a historical marker outside her home uh, in North Philadelphia. And since her death, musicians like, like I said, Johnny Cash, Aretha Franklin, Little Richard, and Tina Turner all celebrated her influence on their work, which helped invigorate, reinvigorate her forgotten legacy. Oh. Um, a recording from the 1960s of her playing her version of the traditional gospel up above my head was featured in the popular, um, in, in Amelie. I didn't realize that that was featured in the movie Amelie from oh. 2001. Um, in 2008, a concert was held at the Keswick uh, Theater in, in Glenside to raise funds, like I said, for the grave marker. Um, and the governor came out and okay. said a few words uh, to give her, you know, her due. Now, some of her accolades. So over the course of her career, Sister Rosetta Tharp, a.k.a. Uh, Rosetta Tharp, uh, recorded over nine albums and had three top 10 hits and one top 20 hit in the 1940s. Wow. Um, Since her death, numerous live recordings have also been released. Uh, But some other honors and and other like notable quotes that people have said about her, according to Cleveland.com, Rosetta Tharp, quote, plugged into an electric guitar in the late 1930s and became a rock and roll star before the men considered the pioneers of rock and roll had dreamt of doing so. She's the godmother of rock and roll who influenced every musician traditionally identified with helping launch the genre in the 1950s, end quote. Um, I I know. In 1998, the U.S. Postal Service uh, created a Rosetta Tharp stamp in her honor. Um, In 2003, the album Shout Sister Shout, featuring contributions by various artists, was released as a tribute to her music. In 2012, she was inducted into the Arkansas Black Hall of Fame. In 2013, American Masters uh, created a film 
about her where her biographer, Professor Gail Wall of George Washington University uh, stated, quote, shout, sister, shout. Um, it's not it's not an image I think we're used to thinking about when we think about rock and roll history. We don't think about the black woman behind the young white man, end quote. Now, in 2014, she was inducted into the Cotton Plant Historical Museum Entertainers Wall of Hall of Fame. In 2017, Highway 17 from Cotton Plant to, Brink to Brinkley was renamed the Sister Rosetta Tharp Memorial Highway. In 2018, a, a marker uh, was installed at the museum as a stop on the Arkansas Delta Music Trail. Um, in 2017, she was finally inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was going to ask about that. <laughs> in 2017, she's described that, by the Hall. Insane. Go on. Yeah, that by the uh, the Hall of Fame site as quote the first guitar heroine of rock and roll of the nom uh, end quote of the nomination. Will Hermes of Rolling Stone wrote quote No artist has been overdue for recognition than Sister Rosetta Tharp. Um, the spirit of Sister Rosetta Tharp is conjured every time a rock musician plugs in and aims for a rapture, end quote. Now, in 2020, she was honored by the Grammys with a Lifetime Achievement Award and giving the moniker the godmother of rock and roll. Last year, in 2022, she was featured in the Baz Luhrmann film Elvis and played by actress and Grammy-nominated uh, artist Yola, who grew up listening to Rosetta Tharp in her hometown of Bristol, England in England. <laughs> and then there was a play about her life that was an adaptation of Professor uh, Gail Walls's biography and countless several theatrical productions throughout the country now. So she's she's gotten a resurgence in the last like five years or so, five to seven years. But she is remarkable. Like I had kind of heard of her, but it was only, I think in the last couple of years when I saw that, that video on YouTube about like her being in England on that, that railroad platform gotta, and watching gonna, her. Yes. Cause by that time she's middle age, but so seeing this middle aged black woman, like, like you're just like, what am I watching? Like, that is amazing. P.S. Ain't nothing wrong with middle age. Total Ain't nothing wrong with middle age. Mm -mm. Yeah. But also, wow, I can't yeah. believe I've never heard of her. She so sounds that's amazing. my woman. Yeah. So that's she, my notorious woman. So who's your notorious woman this week? I'm sorry that was a little long. That was long. My, mine's not as long, but just as, I mean, so differently amazing. Okay. So my notorious woman is Susan. I'm going to. Okay. On A-H-N Cuddy. She's Korean. I'm going to refer to her as Susan because I don't, don't want, want to, to butcher offend. Her right. So she was the eldest daughter of um, Korean independence activists. Oh. Uh, on Cheng Ho and Helen On born Helen Lee. Uh, she was born in 1915, so they were born in the same year. That's hilarious. Wow, okay. Right? Uh, in Los Angeles, California. So she's like she's like us because she's in the same city we are. Um, and her parents were the first married Korean couple to immigrate to the United States in 1902. I didn't okay. know it was such a recent thing. Um, yeah. And the house, the house she grew up in became a haven for many Korean immigrants. Um, the Young Korean Academy made its headquarters there, like as she's growing up. 
Okay. Uh, it was a resource center for many for for the immigrants. The first Korean American citizen named So Jai Pil, I said that wrong. I am so sorry. Um, lived there for a while at 106 North Figueroa Street during the Japanese occupation of Korea. So I didn't realize that Korean immigration is such a recent thing because in my head, everyone's been coming to America. Well, you, you're thinking of like, you're thinking of like the Chinese immigrants that started coming in the 1880s um, yeah. in large numbers and then Japanese uh, immigrants. But yeah, Korea, so I, I could definitely I see. Yeah. I mean, Jews snuck in in the 1500s. <laughs> I mean, they, they weren't like actively Jewish or anything. They were just like, what? No, we're white. It's fine. Um, but, you know, they, underground, they could do stuff. But I didn't realize that that was that was such a very new thing. I also. Um, now, do the, they mean like first Korean immigrant ever? That is, like that, that sounds is, hard. Doesn't it, though? I don't and, know about that. I mean, listen, if you're listening and you have ideas, we'll give you our Gmail afterwards and you can tell us the reality. Because this is, um, and also, so Japanese, the Japanese were colonizing Korea at the time. And you're shaking mm. your head like, duh, Miriam, everybody knows that. No, 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 a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> the, the Japanese were, they were like, we're gonna colonize I, all of our cousins. Yeah. I had no oh, yeah. idea. And I was like, oh my God, this is a whole thing. They, they um, colonized parts of China too. So. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. I didn't, oh yeah. The Japanese were. Oh my. Yeah. I mean, they were Axis. I so I did know that. So maybe they didn't have the greatest, you know, love of humanity at some points. Um, but like not the people. Obviously, I'm talking about the bad government. Yeah, the government. Love, yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, I can't. You know, I live in America, so. <laughs> you I only love know that because that was my area of expertise in college. That's what I majored in. So. But yeah, a lot of people like, don't know. What like, countries did not try to colonize something? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we colonized the British can't stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but a lot of people don't know, like uh, the Japanese aggression in Asia, because the Japanese yeah. had, had a vision of 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 colonizing all of Asia under their banner, which is so interesting because the Japanese also I mean, there's Japanese there's interracism with Japanese, but it's like for us, particularly Korean and Japanese people, they share a lot of like physical and cultural like uh, similarities. But the Japanese is like, it's like, but then when you know Japanese ancient history, you're like, you guys got your writing system from China and a lot of the folklore yeah. and the grammar of Japanese is very Korean. So it's like really? all of yeah, your culture just, came from Korea and like Can we all just but. get along, you guys? You don't need to own everything, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, so she was the third child of five. She was the oldest daughter. And she always attributed her parents, she says, sacrifice and dedication to the Korean independence cause as defining a role in her own identity and her own values. So when she was young, she worked for many of her dad's uh, independence organizations in Los Angeles. She played a lot of sports. She was very athletic. She played baseball and field hockey. When she was at Los Angeles City College, she was in charge of the women's baseball team, and she also played second base. She played for the, get this, the Bing Crosby Croonerettes. I said what I said. She's an all-American girl. Softball team. <laughs> Uh, and she had to stop playing to keep her amateur status to play college baseball. Like she was, 
She was badass. Wow. So she graduated from San Diego State University in 1940, and then she joined the Navy in 1942, where she would serve until 1946. So after Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, she enlisted in the... Um, U.S. Naval Reserve Midshipman's School at Smith College. I can say that. I can. I just did. Um, in Northampton, Massachusetts. She became the first Asian-American woman in the Navy. Um, so that wasn't easy. Because wow. no. people are racist and mean. Um, Anti-Asian sentiment in the country was high. Remember, this is after Pearl Harbor. And this was around when they were... Uh, setting up camps and sending and and um, white people just don't like anyone you know like there was no but it's also you know, i mean it's yeah they're setting up internment camps for japanese americans but i often like to say they didn't set them up for italian americans or nope or german uh, german americans nope nope i'm just yep. like it's easy to pick on the asian people uh -huh. i'm just saying uh -huh. they didn't put them in camps i'm just saying just saying <laughs> You make a good point. Mm -hmm. um, so she, so quote from her, she told her the biographer John Cha, who wrote uh, the book Willow Tree Shade, the Susan on Cuddy story uh, that was written 2002. Quote, a lot of people thought that women didn't belong in the service. That made us try harder. So she felt joining the Navy was a way to help free Korea from the, the harsh Japanese colonial era rule and was eager to join the Navy to fight the Japanese. So she's just pissed at the Japanese, which, fair enough. But then Americans are like, ain't you Japanese? And it's like, right. no, I'm Can Korean, damn it. That, I'm a Korean American. Also, Screw you. How many Japanese people were very American? All right. Yes. You know what? They have a whole name for it, Nisei. <laughs> oh, really? That's, that's, that's second right. generation or first generation. Ah, I don't know. Yeah, they're Americans, um, people. That's how that works in America. Yeah, yeah, also, like, when the government does something, it doesn't mean the people are doing it, too. Um, yeah. Again, <laughs> Nazis were not put in internment right. camps. I'm just saying. Just saying. They, yeah, they weren't. Um, so they should have been. There, I'll say they it. They should have been. Uh-huh. Nazis are in back! In fact... <laughs> In fact, yeah, Nazis are fucking bad. But yeah. in fact, during World War II, black performers like Lena Horne, they tried to force her to perform for segregated audiences. So for black soldiers and then for white soldiers. But with the white soldiers, they actually brought in Nazi POWs. I'm sorry. I know it's a podcast, so I should talk rather than just sit here with yeah. my mouth open. But wow. So they treated what? the actual wow. Nazis better than actual Americans because they were black. But she refused. She's like, I'm not performing for fucking Lena Nazis. Because Lena Horne is amazing. Yeah. But what the fuck, America? Yeah. Jesus. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. No, yeah, it's so. fine. Let's take a moment to be upset about Liking yeah. Nazis more than black people. Guys, stop it with the Nazis. They're not good. They're bad. <laughs> They're not good. Okay. Fucking and they'll probably Nazis. find something about you to dislike. And then it's bad, you guys. It's Let's really all bad. agree. Even German people agree. Oh, German people Nazis are the first to agree. Are bad. 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 You're okay to say that they're bad. And fight your friend who says, no, they're not bad. Say, no, 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 friend. They are bad. 
You're no do longer you, my friend. Do your duty. Yeah. All right. Did you hear how I said As soon as you open up your mouth and be like, but the Nazis had a good book. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. We're not friends. Mm-mm. Nope. No. No, I'm no longer friends with you. I can't or I'm be divorcing you idiots. or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever you need to say to get your point across. All right. Yeah. So uh, she worked her way up in the Navy. She became an instructor on link trainer flight simulators in 1943, teaching aviators how to maneuver a simulator cockpit. She became the first female aerial gunnery officer in the Navy. So she trained fighter pilots how to shoot down enemy aircraft. Listen, wow. she's Tom Cruise. Do you <laughs> yes, see what I'm is. saying? She is. She is. She's on her motorcycle. Okay, that's not how the Top Gun. I just saw the movie. I know I'm late, but I saw it finally. I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting for it to be free. Is that wrong? I think it's free if you have HBO Max. Oh, it's on HBO Max now? Girl, okay. it's yes. free. Go yes. watch it. It's oh, good. I'm watch it. It's like nobody can fly this plane except for the 55-year-old. And everyone's like, yeah, that makes sense. It's so enjoyable. I love Tom Cruise. I know it's cheesy, but I love Tom Cruise. I mean, he was like, we. I used to watch. Anyways, sorry. I did not watch Top Gun every weekend as a teenager. I did, though. All right. So she had to... <laughs> All right, I'm laughing. She knew how to work some guns that men were having difficulty with. She understood how to do it. So there was one incident, as she tells her biographer, where a white male pilot protested having to take directions from her because she was both Asian and female. And that was just too much for this white man. And she says to him, quote, down here, you will shoot when I tell you to shoot. And uh, and then he did. <laughs> I love her. I Is she great? Her. Yes. I love her girl. so much. Um, she eventually became a lieutenant and went on to work for the U.S. Navy Intelligence and the Library of Congress. So in her personal life, in 1947, she married Chief Petty Officer Francis X. Cuddy, or Frank, as they called him, who was an Irish-American. They defied anti-miscegenation laws and wed at the only place that would marry them, which was a Navy chapel in Washington, D.C. So, like, props for the Navy chapel. Don't that, you that's love- how people can understand. Miscegenation. The mixing of races. I won't tolerate no miscegenation. <laughs> you have to say it with a Southern accent. I can do it because I'm Southern, so I can make I, fun of us. I am not allowed to join you in this, but I am allowed to watch <laughs> And, and a George gonna... Wallace ag- accent. Miscegenation <laughs> not on my watch. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm sorry. I can't help it. No, don't even apologize. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 It's like if you make the word long enough, it becomes okay. No. No, no. that's not. It's still not okay. That's uh, like a word that uh, one of my favorite characters in uh, Raising Arizona, the uh, Nicolas Cage it. character, oh my god so good it is i love dumb characters who use big words and he would you that sounds like a word he would use miscegenation yes it's and that's that to me is just like let's make this word super long so it sounds like really smart as opposed to the stupid shit it really is that it is yeah um so she worked for the National Security Agency in Washington, D.C. during the Cold War, and she was in charge of a think tank of over 300 agents working in the Russia section. 
She received wow. a fellowship from the National Security Agency to study at uh, University of Southern California in 1956. She worked on many top secret projects for the Department of Defense and other agencies during her service with the U.S. government until 1959. So she just wow. like climbed them ranks, you know. Amazing. Um, her accomplishments are even considered remarkable and unparalleled today. She, um, so her husband helped finance. Her family had a restaurant, uh, actually not too far from our neck of the woods. It was called the Moongate Restaurant. And uh, they moved to Los Angeles to raise their children here. And also they wanted to win her mother's acceptance of her husband. I don't know if she oh. ever did, in fact, accept her non-Korean husband. They yeah. had and again, two, yeah. This is not racism. The mother's not. just like, what about a nice Korean boy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about like, how about there's a difference? There's and then you know what happens in those families? Then the children are born, the grandbabies yep. are born, and then grandma melts. That's what happens. I mean. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Knock the babies? Never. Yeah. It's babies. <laughs> um, they had speaking of babies, two children, Philip Flip and Christine. In 1959, she left the intelligence community so she can spend more time with her children, and it seems to uh, to help with the restaurant. So her brother, Philip Ahn, was a pioneering Asian-American actor, um, and she had a sister, too, Sura, and they all ran the a popular Chinese restaurant, I should say. It was in Pamarama City. Uh, her brother died in 1978, so she filled the role as family representative, and she worked to archive her family's records, and she managed the restaurant until 1990. Oh, wow. Yeah, she just kept going. Uh, in 2003, the State Assembly of California, State Assembly of California of District 28 named her the Woman of the Year in honor of her commitment to public service. October 5th, 2006, she received the American Courage Award from the Asian American Justice Center in Washington, D.C. As she aged, as she got older, she remained active. She spoke at Navy functions and Korean American community events, and she even campaigned for Barack Obama. She is a breast cancer survivor, so she helped raise money for that cause. She was honored with numerous accolades of government bodies and nonprofits. So the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors designated a Susan on Cuddy Day. I don't even know what day it is. It didn't tell me. It was just a day. Mark, Supervisor Mark Ridley Thomas, who introduced the declaration, was an especially devoted fan. This is what he said. They were all firsts as an Asian American woman in a man's world. Anti-Asian sentiment was brazenly prevalent, but that didn't deter Susan on Cuddy. She just knew what her mission was. She died at her home in Northridge, California on June 24th, 2015. She was a hundred years old when she died. <gasps> wow. Isn't she amazing? She's amazing. And didn't we not know anything? I've never heard of this woman. And the fact that she was in the service during World War II. Yes. I that's mean, crazy. Just the idea of showing up every day as a woman with a high-powered position in the Navy and is Asian at a time when I, I don't, I can't imagine there was a higher anti-Asian 
sentiment in this country than after the Japanese. Well, there was there was one before when they actually passed legislation, the anti-Chinese act. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. That's that was in the legislation. It was in the name. But your point, (laughs) your point is that in our anti-Asian memory. Yeah. yeah, Anti-Asian sentiment has is part of American history. And like even the recent like. China virus, anti-Asian attacking random people on the street who are minding their fucking business. Fuck all you motherfuckers who are attacking. And then I see you motherfuckers, you especially attach, uh, attack old people. Yeah. You fucking coward. You, you, I will you, kick you down a deep, dark hole if I ever catch somebody doing that. But anyway, listen, I digress. Levetta is very strong, so I would be very afraid and maybe stop being so racist. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it. It's. I mean, the reality is obviously it's just never left, right? No, but it's it, never left. It, it yeah. Go, it, it, in terms of like how on high alert, yeah, white America is essentially right. Yeah. I mean, uh, that was a very high alert. We're suddenly, you know, uh, yeah. Because I think I think you know she was she's like she was born at a time where like we didn't have these these advances for uh, minorities and like so the oh. fact that she was able to accomplish all of this without you know people at least like pre-civil rights movement where because I, I think people forget that civil rights movement helped all minorities and white women yes <laughs> by, by the way but like the <laughs> fact that she is an all American girl. Like I just love her life. And, and I'm a big proponent of trying to get more stories of particularly Asian Americans. Yeah. Uh, Cause I feel like Americans, like even in the industry, it's like, Oh, a story from Korea. And like, which is great. Like we love those stories, but also you have like Korean Americans right here. <laughs> like they have stories right. they want to like, tell too. <laughs> we live in California. She's our neighbor. Yeah. Um, And it's, and the fact that it's that to me that's such a huge accomplishment. She did it in such a difficult time, and you and I have never heard of her. Like, I've never heard of her. I, 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 we should have heard of her. Yeah. Because I want this movie, Lavetta. Yeah. She's I Tom do too. Cruise. She's Tom Cruise. Oh, I'm just thank you so much for sharing um, her. And could you actually say her name one last time as we wrap up? Listen, I can try. I, know. I always do that. You do. Okay. Susan on Cuddy. Susan on Cuddy. Thank you so much for sharing that You're with us. Welcome. We had two amazing ladies, two pioneers born in 1915. I know, right? How random is that? <laughs> that is that and who that more people should know about. So hopefully, you know, we're doing our little part and helping people learn and you know, also have fun. Uh, these are kick-ass ladies who, these are our kind of ladies. Like, you know, yeah. these, you know, like they were called bitches in their day because they were doing something right. You <laughs> like, know those men that she was teaching oh. how to correctly hold the firearm they were allowed to to, to utilize. Um, you know, they were like, she's a bitch. You know, they walked out of that room. Uh, and you know, they're pulling mm-hmm. all the Charlie Chan racist, mm-hmm. like, voices out. Oh, like, God. she just probably just oh so awful I can't rem- I just can't even imagine so but That's these women really- yeah just just terrible like just terrible like 
But thank you so much for sharing that with us. And hopefully our listeners will also be inspired to go and learn a little bit more about our ladies. Yeah. Uh, Do your own research. You know, this is we all we always we're not hashtag not historians. We always just give you a little bit. Yep. um, To whet your (laughs) appetite. So you go and find out even more information. And hopefully if you have writers and creators out there, you write a series and put these people in it. And yes, a movie and something. Yes. you know, I so, would watch but that, this movie. I know you need more than me, but still, it's a start. It's a, start. <laughs> a lot of people would watch it, though. I a lot of people would be like, oh, are you kidding me? Um, well, guys, that wraps it up for another episode of Notorious Women Podcast. Remember to follow us on uh, all the things. All the Go things. to iTunes. Give us five-star reviews. We're not suggesting. We, we are unabashedly uh, self-promoting. Listen, five stars. Lavetta, you made a good point the other day. You can choose between giving us five stars or giving us five stars. Yeah. We're letting you choose. Okay. Five stars. And also leave a comment uh, with your five-star review. Uh, and Miriam's going to tell you how you can find us if you want to email us or follow us on social. Yes. So uh, follow us on Instagram. It's Notorious Women Podcast. It's pretty it's pretty easy to find. Um, and email us at Gmail is notoriouswmpod at gmail.com. Um, we also have a Patreon page. Oh, yeah. it's I don't think it's active yet. So okay, we'll maybe hold we off don't on have giving that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, go, we'll have that up in the next couple of weeks, though. Yeah. But, um, you keep an eye on it. Keep listening and we'll let you know when it's like fully ready. Yeah, absolutely. Because we have to like start that up and clean it up and make it pretty for you guys. Because we care. Yeah, you know we like a pretty thing. Okay. Yeah, we also like a smart thing. We like pretty and smart. We like pretty and smart. Sometimes, Lavetta, you like cruel and vicious. But anyways. (laughs) Oh, I'm a snap girl. Snap is the greatest television series in the history of America. That's definitely an opinion that you have. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.